We turn this morning to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. The chariots are coming for Elijah, and uh, one day the chariots will be coming for, for you as well. We await the day when we see Jesus face to face. What a glorious day that will be. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, And they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He said, You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And so he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word that We have the privilege to open this morning. Thank you, God, for the ministry of Elijah and his mentoring in the life of Elisha. And Father, I pray that you would teach us what you would want us to learn from this scripture this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. How many of you have a bucket list? 
Maybe something you've actually written down. Maybe it's just in your head. How many of you have no idea what a bucket list is? <laughs> Maybe you've heard of a bucket list, but you wonder, what are people talking about when they talk about a bucket list? Well, when a person dies, uh, some people rather crudely, we might say, would say that so-and-so kicked the bucket. Okay, You've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. So a bucket list would be a list of things that you want to do before you die. Okay, I was going to say kick the bucket. Before you die, right? One source I read said that the term was coined by an American and British screenwriter by the name of Justin Zackham in his screenplay for the film The Bucket List. Uh, he had created his own list called Justin's List of Things to Do Before I Kick the Bucket, which he then shortened to Justin's Bucket List. If you have a bucket list, I'd like to see it. What, what is it that you would like to do before you die, huh? What's on your, your list? If you're going to have a bucket list, I would encourage you to give some thought as to what you put on that list. Because as believers in Jesus, our list should be different than the list of the world, right? Because the things that we think are important, or the things we ought to think are important, are things of eternal value, right? Not, not just some frivolous thing, but something that has meaning. Things that you would like to do or, or see the Lord do in your life before he takes you home. So we ought to live with eternity in view and spend the amount of time we have left. And we don't know how much that time will be, but however many days or weeks or months or years that we have left, that we are thinking of eternity. How can I live in light of the day when God calls me home? You know, the prophet Elijah was that kind of a man. And what's interesting about Elijah, he didn't actually die, right? He's one of two in Scripture who never died. One was Enoch. And I love the way it describes Enoch. It says that he was not, for God took him. They couldn't find him anywhere. And then we have Elijah who, who was caught up in this uh, chariot of fire and, and went to be with the Lord. So he, he never actually died, but there were some things that he did that had eternal value before the Lord said, it's time to come home, son. And you won't even have to pay the funeral director, right? You don't have to pay for any funeral because you're not waiting for the undertaker, you're waiting for the upper taker. And the Lord took him home. So there's three things, three lessons I think we learn from the life of, of Elijah that we'd be wise to, to take to heart for the time that we have left. Notice, first of all, before we leave, and this is obvious, we need to take advantage of the present, Right? We need to take advantage of the time that we have. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were given a choice, which of the following two options would you choose? Would you want to know when your time is going to end? Or would you rather not? That's kind of an interesting question, huh? Would you really want to know? I mean, would you want to put that on your calendar? This is the day that... I'm going to be gone from this world. Well, Elijah knew, 
And the prophets knew that his time on earth was coming to end. In fact, they knew the exact day that the Lord was going to take him home. And that obviously had an impact on the life of Elijah, uh, finishing uh, his time on earth well. And it also had an impact on Elisha, his, um, what do you call him, a mentee? Uh, if, you, if Elijah is Elisha's mentor, is Elisha the mentee? Is that a word? Maybe I'm just coining a new word. But anyhow, Elisha was Elijah's men- mentee. It sounds weird. But Elisha wanted to take advantage of the amount of time that these two very close men had. So look at verse 2. came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by this whirlwind. Elijah said, Elisha, you stay here. The Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. And what was Elisha's response? No way! (laughs) No way am I leaving you. I am going to follow you wherever you go. Which is interesting because in 1 Kings 19... When Elisha was anointed as prophet to follow Elijah, he told Elijah, I will follow you. (laughs) And so you wonder if this was maybe a little test. Okay, you've said that you will follow me. No, I'm heading to Bethel. And Elisha said, I'm going with you. I don't care where you go. I am going to follow you. As long as you're here, I'm with you, brother. And that's not the only time it happened that day. Verse 4, he then says, I'm going to go to Jericho. You stay here. And Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you lives, I'm going with you. And then again, Elijah said, you stay here. I'm going to the Jordan. So three times, Elijah says to Elisha, you stay here. Elisha says, no way. If you're going, I'm going with you. I will not leave you. Now, it's pretty obvious why Elisha was determined to follow Elijah on his last day on earth because of that relationship they had. And from what I could gather, they had spent about 10 years together. Okay? So that's a significant amount of time. Uh, 10 years where this prophet of God was equipping and encouraging this younger man, Elisha. And so they had a close relationship. Elijah modeled for Elisha what ministry is. Because ministry is more caught than taught, right? Would you agree? It's more caught than taught. And so Elijah modeled that for Elisha. I'm sure he taught him as well. He prayed with him. He encouraged him. And so Elisha wanted to be with his mentor until the very moment that God took him to glory. What a, what a beautiful picture of a discipling relationship. Because I think that's what we see here. An Old Testament example of a discipling relationship. And what's interesting about this, uh, one author says that they were likely men who were different in, in several ways. Uh, one author notes that they were from different generations, Right? Elijah was likely older than Elisha. They came from different places. They had different personalities. Yet they were able to walk together and to work together in a wonderful way. Just a beautiful picture of a godly relationship between two godly 
men. And that's the picture we see in Scripture, don't we? Over and over, Moses and Aaron labored together. David and Jonathan had that encouraging relationship. And if you look at Paul's ministry, he was never alone, was he? It was Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Timothy. Jesus, remember when he sent out those 70 disciples? How did he do it? Two by two, right? There is that beautiful, powerful picture of believers united together. And what a difference that makes as they share that that ministry. Something powerful about that. And that's why we need to take advantage of that relationship while we can, because the day is coming when some of us, I guess I'm in that, that older bracket now, in my 60s, can just about see Medicare coming. So I mean, in that in that uh, age group, uh, the day is coming when us older ones, we're not going to be around here likely as long as you young bucks uh, sitting here, you young ones that aren't even dry behind the ears yet, right? And so, taking advantage of that. And so, I would encourage us older men spend time with those who are younger. You have something to offer them. Maybe you look at yourself and say, what do I have to offer them? You've got experience. You've walked with the Lord for many years. You've got something to offer these young men. One day the chariot's going to come. And we don't want to look back on our life and say, hmm, I could have made a more significant impact in my later years. Pastor Laurel Udden who was the pastor of this church many years ago. In his older years, he used to meet with seminary students and just talk about ministry. He'd go over to the campus and sit down with them, maybe over lunch or coffee. And and I don't know if there's anything that was just so much structured, but just talking about life as a pastor. I admire him for that. Pouring his life into these younger men, even in his later years. And you younger men, let me tell you, you can learn something from the old bucks. You can learn something. You might be surprised they're smarter than you think they are, huh? They might not be able to run a computer very well, but they can tell you something about Jesus. They can tell you something about life. They can tell you something about ministry. So tap into their knowledge. Before we leave, we need to take advantage of that time. Take advantage of the present. The second lesson really ties in with the first lesson. Before we leave, we need to prepare for the future. And preparing in particular, preparing the younger generation for the future. It's interesting, the places where Elijah went with Elisha, have some significance. Did you notice the three places? He went to Bethel. He went to Jericho. And he went to the Jordan River. Interesting. Why do you think that Elijah went to these places? I think one reason is that it had to do with these young prophets who were in these places. In all three places, there were some sons of the prophets. 
You'll see that phrase three times. So who were these sons of the prophets? I don't think it's biological that it was, you know, the children of the prophets, like the PKs, you know, preacher's kids or prophet's kids. It wasn't in that sense. They were groups of young men who were called of God to study the scriptures and teach the people. And Warren Wiersbe makes this comparison, and this is, should, should hit home to us, uh, being very close to a Bible school and having a Christian school here. Wiersbe says these groups would be similar to the mentoring groups in our churches, or even like our Bible schools and colleges. And I would add seminary as well. So Elijah, before he was taken up, he wanted to visit these places where there were these younger men, these sons of the prophets. And I can imagine it must have been an emotional meeting. If you're Elijah and you know you're getting taken up pretty soon, and here's these young men, these sons of the prophets, You had something to say to them. You wanted to encourage them, equip them before you're taken up. It would be interesting to know what he said to them that day. And that's a good question to ask Elijah when you get home to glory. Remember that day when you got caught up in the chariot? Then you stopped at those places. What did you say to these sons of the prophets? What was your message to these Young men. Do you think these young men still had something to learn? Or do you think they had arrived, right? Sometimes young people think they've arrived. um, That they kind of have it all uh, figured out. I've met a few of them in my years teaching at Bible school. I won't mention any names. but And and with this group, you kind of wonder if there was a little bit of, uh, should we say, pride in these Sons of the prophets as they were learning. And as you're learning, you kind of get to think, you know, I'm pretty smart. (laughs) I got this all together. It's interesting. They seem to be, at least perhaps, what one author suggests, a little proud of their knowledge. Because when Elijah and Elisha came to Bethel, did you notice what they said? Verse 3, Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel and came out to Elisha and said to him, Elijah, do you know? Do you know, we know something, do you know that God is going to take away your master today? Do you know that? We do. I wonder if you do, huh? Now, maybe it wasn't that way, but, but one author uh, makes that point. They knew something that maybe Elisha didn't know. How strange it would be to think that, huh? Uh, a student knowing more than his teacher? And then when it came to Jericho, we see the same thing. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha. Elijah, Elisha, do you know? Do you know that we do? Do you know that Elijah is going to be taken up from you today? And, and he answers, yes, I know. And I wish you could hear the tone of voice. Yes, I know. And then both times he says, be still. Uh, Some translations say, be quiet or be silent. 
And I would like to suggest to you the Hebrew word means shut up, but I don't know that it does. <laughs> or is he saying, uh, yes, I know. Uh, don't, don't try to make it look like you're a know-it-all, okay? You're not as smart as you think you are. So, could it be that they were a little bit proud of what they might know, and maybe Elisha doesn't? I quote Warren Wiersbe again. He says, During the years that I was privileged to instruct seminary students, I occasionally heard some of them say, Why should we attend school? Charles Spurgeon never went to seminary. And neither did Campbell Morgan or D.L. Moody. And Wiersbe said, I would usually reply... If any of you are Spurgeons, Morgans, or Moody's, we'll no doubt discover it and give you permission to stop your education. But let me remind you that both Spurgeon and Moody founded schools for the training of preachers, and Campbell Morgan was once president of a training college and also taught at a number of schools. Meanwhile, back to our studies, he would say. Okay, if you're another Morgan or Moody or Spurgeon, that will become known. Study, right? That's why you're here. So they may have needed a little lesson in humility. And then notice also, um, we'll jump down to verse 15. When, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite saw him, he said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah, on Elisha. So they came and bowed before him. So they recognized that Elisha was the successor of Elijah. But then notice what they went on to say, verse, 15, verse 16. But they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. Now, Elijah, Elisha knew what had happened to Elijah, right? He saw him. He was taken away on this chariot into heaven. And so he told them at the end of verse 16, You shall not send these men. But, verse 17 says, when they urged him until he was ashamed. <laughs> okay, send them then. It's, it's kind of the, the, the thrust here. They sent, therefore, fifty men, and they searched three days, but did not find them. And then they returned to him while he was staying at Jericho. And look at what Elisha said to them. Didn't I tell you not to go? There's a bit of a rebuke there, isn't there? You wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't receive my instruction. Didn't I tell you not to go? And now you went and you found out you should have listened to me. I don't know if you have parents that have ever done that. When you tell kids not to do it and they do it, have you ever said, I told you so? I told you not to do that. Well, that's kind of what Elijah is doing here. And it also comes as kind of a, of a rebuke to... Maybe uh, young men who uh, were, had a little inflated view of, of their knowledge. And that can be a problem for those who are young and experienced in ministry. Uh, they don't want to listen to the advice of those who have been around the block a few times. 
I read about a youthful pastor who said he didn't want anybody over 40 in his church. That's a red flag, isn't it? If you think that you are so smart and so wise that you don't need anybody over 40, I think that's a sad commentary on the attitude of of that pastor. And that's why, let me just say this, that's why I think people who are starting congregations and saying we're going to focus on this age group, that's a mistake. We need the whole spectrum of, of ages, don't we? And I think a healthy congregation has people from the time they're born all the way up to the old folks because that's what we need. And so, you kind of wonder what was going on here with these young bucks. Um, Maybe they didn't think they needed the, the advice of the older ones. But I'll tell you what, when I first, the first church I served was out in North Dakota, out in Minot. And there were some old men on that council. I mean old. There was some, one guy was, was like 90. Well, I was thankful for those guys because they had a whole lot more experience than I did. And they were helping this young pastor to navigate ministry, and I'm, I'm so thankful for them. I remember, I've, I've told you this before, but when I was interviewed to get into seminary, the one question that Pastor Amos Dirud asked me was the most important question out of all. He says, are you willing to be taught? That's the bottom line, isn't it? Whether you're young or old, are you willing to be taught? And when there are older men who are willing to teach younger men who are willing to listen, (laughs) there's a bright future. Because that's that's, that's God's plan, right? Mentoring and encouraging and discipling. So before we leave, we need to prepare for the future. Prepare especially those to follow us. But then there's a third thing. Maybe this will surprise you. Before we need to leave, we need to review the past. (laughs) And some would say, well, wait a minute. I'm not concerned about what happened in history. I'm concerned about today. You know, forget about the past. Well, Elijah didn't. Because it's interesting, (laughs) the places he went to were places not just where there were these sons of the prophets, but places that had tremendous significance in Israel's history. And it was important for Elisha to visit these places with Elijah because they were reminders of what God had done for His people in the past. So look at the places, Bethel. Bethel ought to ring a bell, right? If you've studied Genesis. Bethel was a very important place to Abraham and to Isaac and to especially Jacob. Because it was at Bethel that Jacob laid down with that stone pillow. I've always wondered about that, what that was like. And there was the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder, uh, telling Jacob that God is intimately involved in your life. You can trust Him. You don't have to be a schemer. And he came back to Bethel after he'd been gone for all those years and so forth. 
And that illustrated that God could be with him and would be with him as he served the Lord. And can't you just picture Elijah saying, Now, Elisha, I want you to know, remember what happened here. Remember what God said to Jacob. I will go with you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this place. He is the same God today, Elisha. Bethel. Jericho. I remember that one, right? That was the first city conquered in the promised land. And how did they do it? Well, I think you remember. So the people shouted and the priests blew trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted and a great shout and the wall fell down flat. And they went up into the city and took the city. And so as a prophet of God, Elisha was going to face battles. And he needed to remember that the God who gave that victory over Jericho is the God who would give him victory as he faced battles. What better example could Elisha recount to him than this one? And then the third one was the Jordan River. You've got to remember that one, right? The place where the people of Israel entered the promised land, crossing the Jordan River at flood stage because the water was parted. And just in case Elisha's memory was a little foggy, or if he hadn't heard that story before, it's like Elijah said, I'll give you a reenactment. How's that? Here's what happened when they went into Jericho. They crossed the Jordan. And so, while the two of them stood by the Jordan, verse 8 says, Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground just like it had happened before. And through all this then God was, Elijah was teaching Elisha, God has not changed. The God who led the Israelites through the Jordan River is the same God who led the two of them through the Jordan River and He will be the same God who will lead Elisha the rest of his life. And so Elisha obviously understood this lesson because verse 13 says, He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he returned and stood by the bank of the river. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters. And he said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the waters, they were divided here and there. (laughs) And Elisha crossed over. So that's the third time that the Jordan River opened. And they were able to cross over. It's important to notice what Elisha said when he struck the waters of the Jordan. He didn't say, where's Elijah? Now that could have been uh, something he would have thought of. I mean, here was this man who had just crossed the Jordan, or uh, opened up the Jordan. He needed to get back to the other side. Where's Elijah? What am I going to do now? He said... Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? You can see the influence that Elijah had on this young man. Because although Elijah was gone, what did Elisha know? He knew that the God of Elijah was still involved in the affairs of the lives of his people. Just as he always had been. In Genesis, all the way through up to this point, 
that God would be with his people throughout every circumstance of life. This is the value of knowing our history, isn't it? I, I didn't like history when I was in school. I thought, how boring. Why do I need to know what happened hundreds of years ago? Guess what? This word that we read is history. And it's His story. It's the story of God working throughout time. And when we learn what God has done in the past, what does that do for us? It encourages us. And it strengthens us. Because God's Word says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We serve a great God. Those of you who know Jesus as your Savior, you can say, you serve a great God. And before we leave... Before the Lord takes us home, we need to pass on to the next generation how good and how great our God is. If you haven't started a bucket list, put that on the top of your list. But by the grace of God, I will pass on to my children, my grandchildren, to the next generations how awesome and powerful and how great God is. We read that from Psalm 78, right? Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Our fathers have told us, verse 3, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works He has done. If you have grown up in a Christian home where your parents told you those things, you can be grateful You ought to be thankful. These things were not hidden from you. They're being hidden from people today. Parents who don't have any time for God. If you've had a a godly heritage, you can be thankful. And then we need to recognize that that is something we need to pass on to the next generation. I love Psalm 71, this older man, as he's looking back on his life and he's seeing the faithfulness of God, and now he's old and gray, and he says, Lord, don't forsake me. Why? Let me read it to you. Psalm 71, 17 and 18. O God, You have taught me from my youth, and I still declare Your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. I think of a chain when I think of that. A chain has many links, right? But a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So, I think of my grandfather. As far as I know, the first one in our history who came to know Jesus. And he shared with my father and mother's generation. And they shared with my generation 
And now I pray that my children, and now grandchildren, just think of all the the links in the chain. And I prayed, God, help me not to be a weak link, but to be faithful to pass on from generation to generation. Just like Elijah did with Elisha. Just like he did with those young prophets. On that day that, that he was taken up. He was faithful right until his last breath, right? Sharing with the next generation the truths of God. I'm so thankful my brother wrote a book about our history. Because I want my children and my grandchildren to know their history. Not just the history of Scripture, obviously, but what God has done in our family. And how we want to see that from generation to generation. Will God be faithful from generation to generation? Absolutely. Psalm 100, read it. His faithfulness endures to all generations. So may we, until that day when the chariot comes, whether Jesus comes again and we like Elijah, never see death or we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. May God help us to be faithful until that day. And to hear from Jesus those words, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ministry of Elijah and how he poured his life into Elisha and these young men, these sons of the prophets. Thank you, Father, for previous generations who have poured uh, your truth into, into our lives, Lord. And help us to be faithful to do the same so that many more generations would be faithful to you, Lord, until the day that you come again. These things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.